Welcome, pudding people, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. Here with you today are your most wonderful of hosts. My name is Richard. Across from me is Mr. Ken. Hello, hello. Today we are going to be talking about comic books. One of our favorite subjects. Absolutely, but not just comic books. Comic book movies. Oh, yes. Comic book movies. Yeah, so there's a lot of those. And a lot of you folks out there may not know how many there actually are. When did when did they start? How long have we been making those, seeing them? How long have the comic books really been in front of our faces on a TV screen? And that's what we're going to go over. We are going through the history of comic books. In fact, you're probably going to feel a sense of deja vu. You're going to hear the same snippet at the beginning of each of these episodes that we're going to be doing because it's important to us that you understand what we mean by comic book movie. It seems like it should be fairly obvious, right? Mm, maybe. Not so much. We need parameters. Absolutely. So we're going to give you those parameters of what we define as a comic book movie. In this instance, what we define as a comic book movie is a movie that is made off of a comic book. Sounds goofy, but the important distinction is the comic book has to predate the movie. It does not necessarily have to be the first version of said information. So for instances where there are historical events that happen, like 300, for example. We have historical reference. They made a graphic novel. They made a movie based on the graphic novel. That is a comic book movie. But in instances where it exists in some other media form, audio or visual, and then a comic book is made, and then a movie is made, say like G.I. Joe, which existed as a cartoon first, then as a comic book, and then came out as a movie, those will not be included. That's unfortunate because G.I. Joe is amazing. I will let you believe that. Mm-hmm. So, in addition to this, a lot of people uh, will make a distinction between graphic novels and comic books. We will not. A uh, graphic novel to us is just a longer comic book. And normally, I would not make a distinction between comic strips. However, if we include comic strip movies in this particular discussion, it will last forever. So we're going to limit ourselves to those comic books that are included. One other small note. It is considered a comic book movie. If the movie and comic book were made at the same time, Mm. but the comic book predated the movie and released, even if it's only by a month. Sneaky. There are a couple of those instances in here. So those will be considered comic book movies. We are only considering things that are in English as I speak some French and some very bad Spanish, so Mm. it would be difficult to (laughs) go any direction in that. Je voudrais? I don't know. So so that is what we are including. That is what we are not including. We are also not including probably a lot of stuff that you might think is a comic book, but is not. And so if you think we've missed something, let us know. Maybe we did. We'll include it in one of the follow-up episodes. Maybe we'll do... An episode where we made mistakes. Here are the mistakes we made. Mm, I like that. Could be fun. Please join us. And now, cue the transition music. All right. And so we begin our journey. This is the the very early part. So let's... uh, 
let's start at the beginning. Um, there is some there is some um, disagreement a little bit as to what the first comic book movie is to a certain extent. But because of the explanation we gave at the beginning of the episode, uh, most of these uh, other movies will not qualify. So there's actually quite a bit of um, uh, comic strip related movies that were out in, uh, well, actually really early. Uh, the, the Get them out of here. The mid-20s and 30s. We're just not going to go over any of those, obviously. Also, a lot of people think of Zorro as the first kind of comic book movie because uh, it was released in 1920 and he definitely had comic books, but it was actually um, just a year earlier that it was pulp novel uh, was its first uh, release. Then it had a movie, it may have had some stuff in between, but they were not comics of any kind. Um, at least not that I could find anyway. So it's disqualified as being the first movie. So we're, we're going to jump forward in time just a little bit. Do you, do you think they were watching Zorro in World War II? <laughs> they might have been. It, it, it had been out for a little while. A little while. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> we're going to start with 1941. Very first comic book movie by our very s- interesting definition of the word. <laughs> um, 1941 introduces the adventures of Captain Marvel. Um, so... Obviously, during the war is when a lot of the superhero comics came into being. Um, they were really popular. There was a lot of uh, a lot of use of it to forward, not to forward the war effort, but there was definitely a link. And you know, you've seen Captain America punch Hitler as they kind of integrated into the movie a little bit that came out more recently. Uh, punch <clears throat> a lot of that. You know, the heroes going over and fighting and World War II and all that sort of stuff, and it was real popular for a while. Uh, but eventually, the comic book uh, companies kind of went away from that and went into some non-superhero stuff. DC came back into it first, and eventually Marvel came back into it again. But because of its start where it is. Uh, the the movie Adventures of Captain Marvel is actually a serial. Uh, I know for those of you that were not uh, alive at that point, most people don't know what a serial is anymore. It's a delicious breakfast meal. <laughs> but you do not have to eat it only at breakfast. You can eat it at nighttime. A little tip for everybody here. Some vanilla ice cream and some Reese's Puff cereal makes a delicious dessert. Yeah, that sounds like diabetes in a bowl, but <laughs> a delicious diabetes. Um, so uh, a cereal, for those that do not know what it is, was a was basically television, but in the movie theaters. Um, back in, in the older days, you would go on the weekend to watch a movie, but it wouldn't just be a single movie. It would be several. You would have cartoons ahead of time, and you would have these cereals, these episodic uh, installations of uh, a sh- uh, well of a movie, and you get a portion of the plot. Now you got to come back next week to mm. get the next installation. They would have 30, 40 chapters at a time, so they could be pretty, pretty lengthy in what they did. So this one, they decided to start with uh, with DC. DC gets the first hit with Captain Marvel, and that may confuse some of you because I know the Captain Marvel movie at the time of this recording, being at the very beginning of December of two thousand eighteen. The Captain Marvel most people are thinking about is the one from Marvel Comics that's coming out. Mm. But they're calling that individual Shazam now. Um, but he was Captain Marvel. And in my mind, will always be Captain Marvel. The original kept the OG. Absolutely. Are you familiar with Captain Marvel? Yes. 
He is Billy Batson. He is Billy Batson. Are you familiar with who he is and what he does? Um, magic. There's magic, absolutely. So, for those individuals that not, are not educated, just the very briefest glimpse of what this is. Think of um, Captain Marvel as Superman, but made by magic, and in the body of an awkward, prepubescent boy. Um, so... Boy meets the wizard Shazam. Shazam grants him the power of Captain Marvel. Anytime he says the word Shazam, which is actually just an acronym for the strength of Solomon, or sorry, not strength of Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Hercules, stamina of Atlas, power of Zeus, courage of Achilles, speed of Mercury. So that's Shazam. Um, So he is every bit the equal of Superman in terms of powers and strength and just as equally undefined and exactly what that means in, in a beautifully comic book way. Now, they couldn't really do this in 1941. I have only seen the briefest of snippets of this particular serial. So it's, it has been very difficult to, to research into this particular one. So I have no idea what the plot is. Um, Did he still have his red bodysuit and kind of off to the side cape? That's a great question. It was in black and white. <laughs> So, so maybe. So yes, he did. We're gonna say yes. Um, so not a much that I can really go into in specific, like I said, on the plot of this, but um, kind of had some interesting connections here and there. You got um, uh, well. Let's talk about who who created this. Uh, C.C. Beck was the artist that drew Captain Marvel originally. Uh, Bill Parker was the writer at the time. Um, the, uh, the original comic, uh, was, uh, written in 1939. It was actually in Wiz Comics, which, you know, I guess that name made sense at the time. I, I, I didn't quite get it, but I'm a product of a different era. Um, now the lead in this was Tom Tyler. You know Tom Tyler, right? I do. We, uh, just had a beer the other day. He's... <laughs> <laughs> Looking a little little rugged right now, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So Tom Tyler at the time um, was in, was really big. He was um, truthfully, if you look at the history of this guy, he has been in more westerns than anything else. So it's a slightly different kind of a role from what you see in some of the other stuff was. But he doesn't have a lot of crossover to other um, to other media. However, there is a Shazam TV show that eventually comes around. And he is actually in that show. Now, he does not reprise his role in that show because the show comes much later. But <laughs> that's in 1974. Um, so he that would be a little difficult. Billy Basson turns into an elderly man would probably not go so well in terms of uh, you know what people are looking for. Um, the other kind of interesting thing, you got Frank Coughlin Jr. as Billy Batson. I say that's interesting only because he plays the other part of the role, and I couldn't find anything really that I think would uh, link in people's minds to something like this. Did you ever really watch anything or read anything with Captain Marvel? No. So most of my stuff comes from more of the recent versions of the character. I'm familiar with the acronym, the name. The transformation, all the backstory, all that type of stuff. It'll be fun to see a modern version of that movie when it rolls around next year. Very soon. Not that far away. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but a lot of it's been in cartoon representations. I try to catch anything that I can as far as 
a cartoon media, and there's been some pretty solid Justice League stuff in general. Um, some, gosh, there was a Superman versus Shazam, or there's a Shazam Black Adam hmm. movie. So like, there have been there's some things stuff. that have been out there. That's where a lot of my knowledge for the character comes from is just watching all these different variants of these things. Well, an interesting, one kind of final interesting note I think I have, I mentioned the, the Shazam television show that pops up in 1974. This is one of those interesting instances where sometimes comic books influence what's made on the media. Sometimes it happens the other way around, like Harley Quinn was something that happened in the show before it ever happened in yeah, the comic book. Yeah, it was book. never in a book. Well, that happened similarly with Shazam, because when Shazam was as a show in 1974, eventually there was a spinoff, Isis. And it's the goddess. The goddess Isis is what we're talking about. Wait, oh, oh, so not the mobile phone payment that, Exactly, exactly. So that was a spinoff, but it, that character didn't actually exist in the comic book. So that spinoff came out in 75, but the first comic appearance of her happened in 76. Ooh. So it was kind of kind of an interesting little thing there. All right. So I feel like I know comic books pretty well. I've been reading them most of my life. I know a lot of the characters. In research for this, I found the second instance of a comic book movie had a character in it I was not familiar with. Um, in 1942, the second comic book movie comes out. It was called Spy Smasher. This guy is right up World War II's alley. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm not going to really get deep into this particular movie because I don't know much about it. But what I will say is the same two individuals that created Captain Marvel also created Spy Smasher. Nice. In fact, it was in the same series of uh, comic books. It was in Wiz Comics. It was uh, also 39, just a different month, that character premiered. Um, he looks to me a lot like uh, the Sandman from the the, the Justice, um, not Justice League, but uh, uh, Justice Society, uh, at least in the design of, of the, the costume cape and the mask a little bit is what it reminded me of. Now, um, I'm only going to mention one individual that was in this. I could not find any examples of it, so I don't know anything about the plot. It's just... Uh, just, again, one of those really old things that I couldn't find. But a gentleman named Kane Richmond was the lead of Spy Smasher. The only reason I find this to be pertinent is he is also in a series of movies, uh, Brick Bradford, uh, in 1948. He comes back. And if you don't know who Brick, Bra uh, Brick Bad... See, I can't even say it. Brick Bradford is. I'm not surprised. It's a comic strip. It's an old comic strip. But, again, kind of that link in terms of comic book comic strip movies. So, kind of one of those things to think. Yeah. I know Braddock. <laughs> you know, missing in action for all those different movies. But. Yeah, you know, it's kind of, kind of one of those things. So, let's, let's go to something, a character that you're more familiar with. And by your, I mean... Everybody and their brother. Who do you think will be the next installment of a movie? We're going to move one year forward into 1943. Mm. Are we to Captain America yet? Not quite. Oh, Superman. Not quite. Wonder Woman? No. Mm. Think uh, low power, high money. Low power. Oh, Iron Man. Still DC. Hmm. Lex Luthor. <laughs> Now you're doing it on purpose. <laughs> we are back to Batman. Or by, I shouldn't say back to Batman. We are to Batman. In 1943, there is indeed a Batman movie. Yeah. So DC gets out three before 
Marvel even gets one movie out on the on, on the road. But um, the Batman in 1943 is really kind of interesting. It's again, just like Spy Smasher and Captain America, it's a serial. Um, now, everybody knows Batman. I don't feel I really need to go into a definition of who Batman is and what he does. Uh, if you don't know Batman by now, you have been living under the largest rock uh, of all time for the last 20 years. Yeah, every single Batman thing that's available has some origin story of Batman. Absolutely. It's repetitive to an extent. Now, for some people that is slightly less known, but not unknown, but for, for comic book people they know, it's uh, Bob Kane was the individual that originally came up with the, the visual concept. concept you, yep. you got Bill Finger as the writer. Uh, Batman, his first appearance uh, occurs in, unsurprisingly, Detective Comics, which Ooh. is his big title. And he was originally out in 1939. A lot of those came out in, like, 39. Um, so this is only four years after the comic is released. And this is kind of, and to me, one of the interesting things. These serials are released only a few years after the first appearance of these comic book characters. Um, so I, I, I wonder... If this is a response to the popularity of the characters or just an attempt to try and have something new that people had not seen in that they could create these episodic stories around that that's just kind of a different flavor that wasn't a western or wasn't a sci-fi something you know kind of thing like that I mean the, the serial is brilliant marketing it's not like you can sit at home and watch TV no so you can listen to the radio yeah, there's plenty of radio station, well, not plenty of stations, but plenty of similar type of things on the radio. So these serials, I think, were a great way to just keep people coming back. Keep people coming back, you know? Just Would have worked on me. Make some money. So, um, so in 43, um, again, I'm going to kind of keep this minimal. There's not a whole lot of important plot to go over. It's, it's a serial. But one kind of interesting thing is over the years, the look of Batman has changed. If you look at Batman in the movies, he's been mostly the same. He had a couple variations. You've got, you know, you've got the Ben Affleck Batman now. Before, you had the, the Nolan Batman design was basically the same in its look. If you compare the two, they're really similar. I mean, you, you edged a little towards Frank Miller on the newer incarnation of Batman than you did on the Nolan Batman. Um, and then you've got... The um, George Clooney, oh, yeah, the, the bat nipples, um, the kind of over the top, mildly hokey stuff that eventually sprouted out of the Michael Keaton uh, original Batman series, and then of course, you got the just the cheesy uh, Adam West. Now, um, that also happens in the comics, he's redesigned constantly. Now, in this 1943 serialized Batman, it's one of the earliest instances that I've seen of. On his, on his hood, on the cow, one of the things that always changes is how big are the ears. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're like little tiny horns. In this 1943, you could have impaled somebody on the size of the ears that he's got. And they are sharp looking, just tall ears. So it's kind of that, that almost angular looking Batman, if you ever get to see some, some footage or even just some still frames from that, uh, from that serial. Um, now, Lewis Wilson, he played Batman. You um, don't see him much of anything else. <laughs> he just doesn't come back. I mean, it's not that he didn't do anything else, but it's just nothing that I think is particularly noteworthy for this conversation. Yes. Um, uh, same thing. Douglas Croft as Robin. Really not much to talk about this particular movie. 
Kentucky. So, a lot of these earlier ones I'm going to be kind of going over somewhat quickly, just because there's not much to, to go over, because most people haven't seen it, and there just isn't that kind of meat. Or maybe, you know, didn't it's more of, hey, by the way, did you know there was a Batman movie in 1943? Exactly. Exactly. So now, as you were alluding to, and we've talked about this uh, outside of the podcast before, because I was I was blown away because I didn't know it was there in, in the initial looking of my research. And in fact, we tweeted about this on our Twitter account about the first Marvel movie being Captain America in 1944. Now, this Captain America, you know who Captain America is, right? His name is Steve Rogers. Nope. (laughs) His name is Grant Gardner. They changed his name for the serial. Um, Not really sure why. Guy Gardner's brother. Yeah, they got confused. I'm not really 100% uh, certain what's going on with that. Um, again, another serial. Um, the the uh, lead actor was Dick Purcell. Oh, and I completely forgot Captain America. Uh, that's uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. If you know Marvel, you know Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. They're about as synonymous as Stan Lee in terms of uh, creation of characters and things like that. Captain America was originally first released in comics in 1941 in Captain America Comics. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Pretty pretty on the nose, I guess. But uh, so um, that was one small thing, changing the name. Um, Dick Purcell did not live much past uh, this particular role. Uh, he only made, or probably wrong, live is not the right. He didn't make movies. Uh, he did three more movies, basically after this particular serial. So there was nothing really to reprise or really to kind of go on and what he had done previously. Um. So basically like Republic, uh, it's made by Republic uh, Films uh, or Republic Productions. That's the company that made the, the film. Kind of interesting. It was the last movie they made was Captain America, the serial. Mm. And they didn't do anything afterwards. So um, um, Dick Purcell specifically, though, before this movie was in every action movie ever. I mean, the dude was seriously busy with movies. And they were all just like beat him up action flicks. Uh, he so they got the right guy. Yeah, he would have been the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, cross the Sylvester Stallone of the time, I'm thinking. <laughs> Something along those lines. All right, so we jump a few head, uh, a few years ahead. What's next, Mr. Richard? Do you know? Uh, is there some Supermans? There is a Superman. Yeah. 1948. Superman, Kal-El, the man that gets really bad green tans. Ooh, green tans? Yeah. Uh, it's, un- it's unfortunate, but you eat too much kale and <laughs> you get a green tan. Absolutely. Um, so 1948, um, the uh, Superman is Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster creators of this. Uh, Superman originally created in Action Comics in uh, 1938 in June. So, again, this isn't too far. It's got a little more lead time than some of the other movies that they put in this, about 10 years from the original introduction of Superman. But they kept it as a serial. This is still very popular at the time, but really, this is basically... Uh, one of the last, uh, you don't get many more serials after the late 40s to early 50s. 
Um, so it's starting to wind down. But there are a lot of really interesting things about this particular Superman. So first of all, uh, Kirk Allen was the Superman in this particular film series. Are you familiar at all with Kirk Allen or any of the, the early stuff? Mm, no. Okay, most people aren't. Um, he actually is one of the first um, actors in instances where he followed the role through multiple other incarnations. So like he uh, later, and we'll, we'll probably glide over this one a little bit, but there is another one called Adam Man versus Superman in Ooh. 1950. Uh, he is also in that. He's also, this is one of the early instances where you notice that sometimes when somebody is iconic in a very specific comic book role, they bring them back later in the movies. In the uh, Superman movie in 1978, he's in it. Ooh. He is General Lane, actually. Uh, in in the 1978 Superman, uh, you got Noel Neal as Lois Lane. Uh, obviously, the other pivotal figure in the uh, in the particular um, in the particular instance of any Superman, anything. Um, now, minor note on her: if you are familiar with the movie. Uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, she had a small role in that particular movie. But more importantly, she's actually in a ton of comic book stuff and also is one of those people that reprises things. She was in that Brick Bradford that I was talking about in 1947 uh, based on that comic strip. But she was Kitty in The Music Man in 48, another kind of big role. Um, but she stayed associated with the uh, Superman franchise. Uh, she reprised the role as Lois for the show that they had syndicated in 1953. And she was also in the serial of Adam Man versus Superman. So kind of an interesting thing where she followed in the movies as Lois Lane, but when they made the show, they had her, but not Kirk Allen. They went with somebody else for the show. Hmm. Um, so I'm Kirk Allen was asking for too much money. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but as I mentioned, Superman in 1978 pays homage to the early Superman. She is also in that Superman. Oh, wow. Absolutely. She is Ella Lane. Lois's mom, I'm guessing. Is she in a picture frame? Look somewhere? <laughs> no, I think she's actually in, in the film very briefly. Uh, I think I'm thinking maybe in the Daily Planet is, is what I'm remembering. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's been a little while since I've seen the 78 Superman, so I might be stretching there. Well, and then Adam, man, what what was the, the last Superman in that series? Was was that Atomic Man? Oh, the uh, Superman 4 and the, the, the Christopher Reeves one? Yeah. Um, yeah, and the Superman 4 is uh, a battle against, uh, yeah, Adam. I don't think it is a link to Adam Man in this, but I would love to see if it's actually basically the same character because everybody dogged that movie. It's just being awful. What if it really actually harkened back to the original serial and it was awful already and they just kind of yeah. tinkered with it a little bit? Ain't got no time for ideas. Let's go back to that one. Um, another kind of interesting thing, uh, Tommy Bond uh, was Jimmy Olsen in the series. Now, when most people think about Jimmy Olsen, oh, I'm a photographer and I'm trying to keep up with Lois Lane and all that, that was not the same thing in, in the old movies. Uh, it's a little kid 
basically, is Jimmy Olsen. And I, I did remember, so it's kind of like that in the comics at times, too. Jimmy Olsen is not that old. He's, he's very young sometimes in the comics. Not always. I think he stayed older later. But um, So that was just kind of a, an interesting little twist. He will also come back in Superman versus Adam Man. Uh, but one other kind of small interesting thing about Tommy Bond, he was Alfalfa in the Hour Gang serials of the time. Alfalfa. Yeah. The For those of you not familiar with that, because this is significantly older, uh, just uh, envision uh, a kid with a chronically bad haircut, a little bit of hair that always springs up. Well, I mean, if you've seen Tommy Boy, you'll at least know the name. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, is it? Is that an alfalfa or Spanky? Well, Spanky is one of them that he mentions. That's quite possible. They, okay. at least, they at least make reference to. Um, so, all right. So, I know I'm dominating a little bit of this, but uh, I think that's uh, only because <laughs> I, I've been doing a, a chunk of the research, and I think we're still hitting a lot of the stuff that uh, we haven't quite gotten to where you've seen some of these movies. So Correct. Feel free to stop me at any point if I start to kind of ramble on. So, 1949. We're still going forward. 1949, we've got our second Batman movie. Batman and Robin, released in 1949, uh, has a new Batman, no longer Lewis Wilson. It's now Robert Lowry. He's also not much else. At least not that's pertinent. Um, uh, Now, um, is it the same Robin? It is not. I mean, not not actor, but you know, same kind of feel. Is it still know. Dick Grayson, or is it? Uh, yeah, it's still it's still Dick Grayson, and it's played by Johnny Duncan. Um, it's it's just odd. I I haven't had a chance that may be related. There were a series of uh, um, characters on TV series in the fifties and sixties. I haven't had a chance to really kind of compare them at this point, but I would wager it really has nothing interesting. But there is an interesting note in this particular Batman and Robin movie. If you think about the 1989, is that right? The Michael Keaton Batman? 89, I do believe. Uh, So you've got Michael Keaton as Batman. You've um, You've got Jack Nicholson as the Joker. But there is a major character in that movie that I never recognized from any of the comics. I just wasn't familiar with it. I thought that it was just kind of made up. Who is the love interest? Vicky Vale. Vicky Vale is in the 1949 Batman and Robin. Not original. Um, at least it's a at least it's a callback to the name, if nothing else. And who was played by Jane Adams at the time? And again, I didn't find anything particularly pertinent in terms of stuff that she's been in otherwise. But Vicky Vale, pretty awesome. Mm. Um, kind of also um, uh, a really uh, a odd, nod, a throwback, a nod. Will. Yeah. I, I also found something interesting. I can't remember whether it was the Batman in 43, the Batman and Robin in 49, or the Superman in 48. But there is a character listed. Um, I don't know if it was the character or the actor that played it, but I'm pretty sure it was the character. Yeah, it was the character. It was a, a cop. So I'm pretty sure it was one of the Batman films. The character's name was Wally West. Hmm. So I'm wondering if there's... 
if that's just coincidence that there's a flash later that's a Wally West, or whether that, again, is a nod to just some of the older stuff when they made that name. I would love to find that out. I'm still still digging into the information. Yeah, when was Flash? The Flash's origin. Flash's origin is still pretty old. It's still in that kind of time frame. Well, sort of. He's kind of in the resurgence of the heroes after they kind of died and came back. But... Um, but still, the Wally West Flash is much more recent. I mean, that was the Barry Allen Flash that you got at the beginning. The Wally West Flash didn't appear until, I believe, the 1980s. I may be a little off there. I'd have to check just to be sure. A lot of comic book information. Only so much space in my brain, and I've got to have room for other stuff. Um, so, that takes us up to 1950. As I mentioned, we've got Adam Man versus Superman. Now, this is the first instance I saw of Lex Luthor. introduced into uh, a Superman project. Kirk Allen resumes his role. Tommy Bond resumes. Noel Neal resumes. Lyle Talbot is Lex Luthor. Um, You know, we had the chance to talk to um, Stephen Tobolowsky, and uh, we had a chance to to talk to Carl Sierfalio. These guys have been a bunch of projects. You see two, three hundred projects. This guy, Lyle Talbot, was like that. He was in 332 projects up to 1987. The dude was in a ton of stuff. Um, And it's just all over the place, too. So (laughs) he could have been in something you've seen and you just have no idea. Um, Now, one small thing he was in, he was in the movies based on the Joe Palooka comic strip that we're not going to get into at all. (laughs) But yet another kind of a combination. Um, So... Uh, he's actually the uh, the Lyle Tabot as Lex Luthor is in the Batman and Robin of 1949 as Commissioner Gordon. So there's that kind of a, a, a crossover too, as well as the Dick Tracy TV show in 1950. Like I said, this dude was in everything. Um, hmm. So that's uh, that is the next to last of the super uh, Superman serial films of the time. They give it one more go in 1951. You've got uh, Superman and the Mole Men in 1951. Uh, now, this, this is George Reeves, the first, uh, first instance some people saw George Reeves as Superman. But um, he, he went into the show in 52. So that was, uh, he was with uh, Noel, um, uh, Noel Neal uh, as Lois in that particular set of shows. Um, but... In this particular movie, it wasn't Noel Neal as Lois. <laughs> it was Phyllis Coates. Uh, so, uh, I'm sorry, Phyllis Coates was in the show. I'm sorry, I, I said Noel Neal as, uh, as uh, Lois in the show. I'm very sorry. Lots of information is just pouring out of my ears. Um, and then it's talking about somebody who's been in everything. Phyllis Coates that plays Lois is in a comparable number of projects after the television show. Just tons and tons of stuff. Uh, so they, they went on to do quite a lot. Um, now, she also gets a callback in terms of kind of a nod to her, I think, importance as a character in that movie. She was in uh, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, as Ellen Lane. <laughs> I believe Lois's mom. Seems to be a recurring theme, but uh, just kind of, a again, another cool little nod. Um, now, some people would not consider this to be a movie. 
I'm only considering it. I consider movie shorts to be just like movies. They're just really, really, really small movies, right? They're short. They're short, right? Well, in 1954, we have Stamp Day for Superman. Mm. So uh, what would get you to buy stamps more than Superman? Nothing. I don't think anything got me to buy stamps. I don't know if Superman would either. But George Reeves gave it his all. And he says, buy U.S. saving stamps. Noel Neal was in it too. And it was, it was thrilling. If you've, if you've never seen it, it will redefine what you think of as a uh, commercial <laughs> using actual actors from a, a popular uh, movie or TV show. They say that if you would have purchased the Forever Stamps long ago when they first were issued and bought thousands of dollars worth of them, that your investment would have been, you know, obviously the first price on the Forever Stamp long ago was... X amount of dollars, you know, you're having a gigantic return on your investment of stamps. Yeah. No. Is it Philatelist? Is that the name of somebody that, that collects stamps? I'm pretty sure it's something like that. Flotulent? Flatulent? <laughs> it's something rather interesting is what that is. Um, all right. We're going to finally get into a set of movies where Richard is going to have more to say. I was trying to get past mm. all the really early stuff. I've got nothing to say. I don't believe it. I've uh, got nothing to say. So we are now going to jump. After 1951, there is a, uh, an, a deficit of comic book movies. There's really nothing until 1966. So you get a 15-year uh, absence. Focusing on the TV shows, maybe. And there is still quite a bit of TV shows in that period of time. But in, in the movies, just nothing there. So what's in 66? Hmm. Did they do some more Batmans? They did Batman. Adam West, man. The the quintessential Batman of my youth. Before I realized that he was a dark and brooding and just strong guy, I saw him dancing in really bad angles on television. But, of course, you have the movie. So you watched this movie, right? I... I can say I've seen most of it, but I can't say that I've seen all of it, and I can't say that I've seen the ones, the pieces that I've watched consecutively. (laughs) Meaning, oh, hey, this is on. Let me watch 20 minutes of it, and I'm like, I'm good. Let's go watch something else. How can you not want to watch a movie where Batman has to save a pier full of people from a bomb? So he grabs it and trots around not knowing what to do with it. Trying to get it away from everybody. It is one of the silliest sequences. Well, not as silly as the uh, bat shark repellent. The shark, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that one's kind of classic. It is. It is kind of classic. But I want I want those of us that are listening, uh, those of you that are listening, that did not grow up in a time where you didn't get this kind of universal connection between movies and television shows and everything kind of relates. Nothing ever related to anything. So when you got the television show, but then there was a movie, and all of the people from the show were in the movie, and all of the bad guys were there, it felt like big. Big deal. Yeah. I mean, it was it was kind of kind of awesome. Um, now, uh, kind of an interesting side note: Adam West voiced Mayor Grange in the animated show. 
in the original Batman the Animated Series. Yep. Kind of just a small, interesting thing. Of course, you got Burt Ward, who wrote the book about all the stuff that happened behind the scenes. Because, you know, it's it was the 60s, and it was crazy. Um, he was got, also uh, Mayor West in Family Guy. Well, that, <laughs> that got nothing to do with it. Okay. Yeah, well, that's, that's all right. You know, I can be unhappy about that. So, Lee Merriweather as Catwoman, you know, one of the first kind of... Uh, well, I almost said sex symbol, but not really. But kind of that that sultry kind of uh, the Catwoman feel that was sultry, but not sultry is kind of kind of a weird combination. Yeah, uh, sultry but silly maybe is the best way to put it. Uh, Caesar Romero as the Joker. I mean, a classic Joker. That 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 kind of almost um, uh, wacky racers, uh, snidely whiplashes dog kind of a laugh he would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I say snidely whiplashes dog? That's that's probably wrong. I'm feeling that that's wrong. Because I, I always get the uh, snidely whiplash and uh, another cartoon. I was just rolling with it because over and over. Yeah, I do it all the time, and it really drives me crazy because I know better. But it is late, and we are. Um, recording with our favorite beverages, and I'm overcoming sickness. So you know, I do what I do what I'll do what I can. So uh, Burgess Meredith as the Penguin. Ooh, yeah. Have you ever seen a ten year old boy try to talk like he's clasping a, a cigarette on a stick? So you can talk like Burgess Meredith. Wow, I'm going to get you. You know that kind of thing. That was me as a kid from watching the mm-hmm. show. That his his Penguin was just so much fun. Um, it was again just kind of silly. Who who carries around a, a an umbrella and shoots gas at people? And, and and maybe it's just me, but a lot of the interpretation of these characters who have come to life from the pages of a comic book, being portrayed by these actors at this point in time, what is the precedent? Mm-hmm. There isn't one, right? So I feel like they set the precedent for what these characters kind of acted like, right? Yeah. And and what we think of them even today to a small extent of what some of these characters how they talk and how they act. Sure, sure. I think uh, I think a lot of that is, you know, when you get the golden age comic books, the way that the characters were portrayed were so all over the place. I mean, it could change from week or week to week, month to month with the issues that are released. There wasn't the same kind of consistency of character that you you got later. Um, so you, when you combine that with the fact that at, in the 60s, I don't think Hollywood understood comics. So do whatever you want. This is basically what the character is. Figure it out. Uh, whether that was the director or their particular interpretation or whatever, I think uh, the super swinging sixties. It was, it was different. Now, of course, you also had Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, and he was always my favorite because you know he was the smart one. But as I rewatched them later, for a guy that was really smart, he made no sense whatsoever, and I just never noticed it when I was younger. It was it was it didn't really matter. The uh, quintessential Alfred in Alan Napier. I mean. Uh, that dude was the my idea of the British butler for for like forever because of watching that show. And, and I know we were we're talking about the movies, but I think it's really cool that if you do watch that show, that every I feel like every 
bad guy almost that you could ever imagine as a Batman bad guy is in one of those shows at some point in time. Yeah. So that they, they took them all and put them in the episodes. And then created some that just <laughs> were awful. Awful, wasn't yeah. Ramatut, wasn't he one of them the, or something similar, The some Sphinx or fa- the Pharaoh? It was some just really weird, dumb name and uh, uh, just, well, just an out-of-shape guy <laughs> with the thing on his chin. <laughs> Well, there's only so many. I mean, only so much you can do when you have to do an episode. All like, so many episodes per year. You know, one every week or so. So, I gotta stretch. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely the case. Now, because of the craziness of how popular that was, um, they thought. Well, maybe not they, but someone thought. Well, Batman was really popular. It was campy. They made a. A campy Batman movie. Let's make a campy Batwoman movie. Hmm. Also came out in 66. A lot of people are not aware of this particular movie, but it was called The Wild World of Batwoman. Now, if you're familiar with Batwoman, she is, um, well, basically like Batman, just not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a girl. Um, but. Uh, it is based off of an actual uh, character. Uh, the character first appeared in 1956 Whoa. in Detective Comics. Um, so kind of a, it had been around for a number of years. The movie that they released did not resemble the character at all. It was a lot like Catwoman when it was released with Halle Berry. It, they used the name, that's about it. Uh, they just made up everything else. It's if you've ever seen, um, if you're a fan of B movies where there is uh, '60s bad dancing and kind of girls everywhere and that sort of stuff, that's what it is. It well, is cheesy. The the summary I think says it all. The pointlessly named Batwoman and her bevy of Bat maidens fight evil and dance. Yeah, it it is really bad. But in a fun way. Um, you got Catherine Victor as Batwoman. That is the only thing I'm going to mention out of that movie. And only because, you know, it's the lead character. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't really think there's much to go into in this particular movie. Um, so let's go to something with maybe a little more substance. Maybe something that you've seen. Sound good? Sure. Yeah. Let's jump forward six years. Let's go to 1972. 72. Got it. Tales of the Crypt. Ooh. Now, this is an interesting one because, you know, we talked a little bit uh, at the beginning, or maybe I should say I droned on a little bit (laughs) at the beginning of the show um, about the fact that the comics started, well, not started, but had these heroes and then kind of ventured away from them. They went to romance comics. They went to westerns. They went to sci-fi. They went to horror. This is one of those horror comics that they went to. So, Tales of the Crypt uh, was originally out uh, in 1950, uh, published by EC Comics. Um, Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt. Did I did I not say Tales from the Crypt? Of the Crypt. I did say I said that, didn't I? As I mentioned, my brains are falling out of my ears at this very moment. So, if you're getting any sense of a lack of cohesion, I'm going to chalk it up to that. Would you like another drink? (laughs) That will make it all better. 
<laughs> so, did you ever watch the old Tales from the Crypt movie? Is that, um, gosh, what am I thinking of? Was there one where they were on a plane and like the thing is crawling around on the wings the guy's like oh my gosh like, that one actually was twilight zone that's twilight zone is that that one? okay that was twilight zone that had william shatner in that particular role um no tales from the crypt i've is, seen some of the older ones and i they've been on tv i feel like it's maybe just the actual tv show and not the yeah there was the there was a tv show now tales from the crypt it, it's kind of funny you bring up twilight zone it's very similar in its feel in some respects the only difference being, because it's a movie, it's able, in many instances, to not have a single cohesive story, but actually several smaller stories that are all involved. There's, uh, if I remember correctly, the one in 72 involves, at one point, several, a couple of people getting buried up to their neck in sand as the tide rolls in on, on the... Hmm. On the uh, um, yeah, yeah, that's the one with Joan Collins in it. So that should be right if I'm remembering correctly. It's it's kind of it's just again it's whether it's just supernatural horror or whether it's just kind of suspense. That's kind of the direction they went in. It's usually keyed more towards horror in the comics, but there's uh, uh, the movies kind of are all over the place. So in '72, uh, you get the first instance of Ralph Richardson doing the voice of the Crypt Keeper. If you've never heard the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> yeah, he's got that really high, kind of goofy, annoying thing. Watch Robot Chicken. They make fun of him on occasion. I'm, I'm sure he's probably brought up somewhere in Family Guy at some point, too. I would be surprised if he wasn't, because he's kind of a cultural, the Crypt Keeper's kind of a cultural icon. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. Ralph does the voice pretty much through all of it. Um, so, like I mentioned, Joan Collins was the big name in... Um, in this particular uh, uh, movie, she's she was their I think their biggest draw. Now, do you know who Joan Collins is? Oh yeah, big star. All right. Do you remember what she was in? What was her kind of her big role? No. Dynasty. Oh yes, Dynasty. If you watch Dynasty, yes. Daytime soaps. It was kind of daytime soaps, but not in the daytime. But uh, no, yeah, like Dynasty. There's Dynasty. There was Dallas, yeah. and yes, gosh, those were awful. So, like, bad, but like, you're, you're, so, you're typical, bad, but... Fun still. You still had to watch every episode. Yeah, yeah. That's right, Dynasty, oh my gosh. So that was the big thing. Now, uh, oh, and I forgot to mention, I always try and talk about who created it. Uh, the uh, comics originally was uh, William Gaines and uh, Al Feldenstein. Uh, were kind of the, the, the two that created the, the Tales from the Crypt. Um, uh, other than, other than uh, Joan Collins, uh, the only other name that really stood out to me in the kind of geeky level of stuff that we get into was Peter Cushing. Yes. Why does that name sound so familiar to me? <laughs> I'm going to give you a moment to look it up to see if you find something that I... The big thing that I wrote down from Peter uh, Cushing... Was he was Grand Moff Tarkin, Tarkin yes. in Star Wars? Yes, and he uh, he's he was the big. That's what, oh my gosh! I had the big, you know. Um, he would tell Darth Vader to you know stop using his power to kill somebody. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's, it's it's those small little connections. Now the movie in a, of itself, like I said, Tales from Crypt in nineteen seventy two, consisted of several small. 
uh, stories. If you go back and watch it, you will find that you will forget about those stories later. Uh, it's just, they, they were fun, but nothing what I would call terribly remarkable. They are kind of the junk food of movies. Very tasty at the time. It's just not going to make an impact on most people. Um, okay, so let's go back to superheroes. 1974. There's going to be a TV show of this character. There's not one yet. But it's time for a woman to show what she can do. Not just dancing and fighting bad guys and being called Batwoman. No, no. We need a strong female hero. Who can it be? Wonder Woman. It can be Wonder Woman. Absolutely. Now, this is a TV movie. Yes. And it's not... uh... Linda Carter. No, it's not. That I probably should pro, uh, give a little thing. I count TV movies as movies in this instant, so long as they are not associated with the television show in any way. So if we end up getting to like, you know, the Incredible Hulk television show had several movies associated with it. But the Batman one. I, I made an exception because it was awesome. I had to start with something that everybody you know, got and, and went with it. Don't don't look at me like that. I, I love I love the Batman show and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna count it. So I get one exception. We made a qualified exception I for made that one. One exception because that was so for Mayor West. I mean, come on. I had to. Um, and you know, technically, if the movie comes out first and then the show comes out, I would call it an exception. But I seem to remember the show predated the movie mm. in particular. Uh, instance, but it was Batman. Anyway, so we've got Kathy Lee Crosby as Wonder Woman. So when you think of Wonder Woman, you think of Amazon, dark hair, you know, muscles, the kind of traditional gold uh, and red and white and blue outfit. Does not look like that at all. Uh, it is a blonde woman. Uh, she has a cape. Uh, <laughs> the outfit looks completely different. Um, it's interesting. Uh, if you've never seen it, it's, it's fun. It's, I don't want to say campy cause that's not really what it is. It feels that way just because of its age. Yeah. But, uh, it, it was fun. I mean, Kathleen Lee Crosby was a name at the time. Um, but there was actually one other name in that particular movie, that for me kind of made it worthwhile, and that was uh, Ricardo Montalban, wasn't Ricardo, it? Ricardo, yeah, yeah. He he was Abner Smith, and if you think of Ricardo Montalban, Abner Smith is the first name of a character that you, that I would think of for this this guy that's that's got this very thick accent, this wonderful voice. <laughs> He's Abner Smith. Uh, I just uh, it's it's one of those. Uh, uh, palm to the face moments. Now, Wonder Woman is a really interesting character in a different way. I don't know if you're. Are you familiar with the Wonder Woman character? Uh, well, I feel like she's got a a from from like the origin stories that you see. I think nowadays they differ slightly from what they were. I think there's some continuity things that change a little bit from. Long ago till now, but just a smidge. I mean, for the most part, it's pretty consistent. So, what does Wonder Woman do? What is her power set? What is her thing? She has an invisible jet. <laughs> Back in the golden age, she sure did. <laughs> the lasso of truth. 
Uh, yeah, it's got the last that makes people tell the truth. Um, the power of the gods. She is a um, a walking juggernaut of destruction, which is really kind of interesting. So that lasso of truth, you've got what? Captain America has a shield, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thor has a hammer. There are people with swords. She's got a rope. Why does she have a rope? Because um, it's yellow. There's actually a really interesting reason she has a rope. So if you're not familiar with Wonder Woman, um, Wonder Woman was originally created in uh, 1941, I believe. Uh, yeah, All-Star Comics, 1941. Um, Did you ride horses? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so the artist was Harry G. Peter. The writer, uh, William Marsden, he was a psychologist. He was kind of fixated on some very strange ideas. They made a movie about that. Yes, they did. (laughs) There's a certain element of bondage involved. And I'll just leave it at that. But it's a very weird history for the character. Uh, We try and keep it as friendly here as possible, not going to any really strange directions, but... That is a really weird history if you ever have a chance to look into it. Shoot. Yeah, that movie just came out uh, within the last couple of years. Really? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I missed it. I unfortunately uh, did not get a chance to see it. I would love to. I'm probably eventually going to get to it. But So yeah, did you uh, did you ever watch that particular TV movie? No. No. Did she? Because like Wonder Woman's also got the little... Uh, the wristbands? Wristbands that she can, you know... I don't remember if she had that in that particular movie or not. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Let's move from something ridiculously silly from the 1974 Wonder Woman and instead go to something ridiculously silly in 1975. So, who's the biggest superhero of them all? When you think of a superhero, who do you think of? Mm, Superman. That's right. We're going back to Superman. Did you know there was a Superman movie in 1975? Mm, I did not. Tell me more. It is called It's a Bird, It's a Plane... It's Superman. Have you ever wanted to watch Superman, but also wanted to watch a musical? Um, yes. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> there is not much to say about it. It has a very small cast. Uh, you've got David Wilson as Superman. It's not good. Don't waste your time. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a weird one. Question for you. Yes. What are your thoughts on Superman as a character? Like, just the, the fact that he's all-powerful in every which way, that you've got to imagine ways now to make him have weaknesses, right? Yeah. Um, is he one of your favorite characters in the comics? No, not even close. Um, and it's not so much that power-level thing. I love high-power-level characters. It's not so much that he is just stupidly powerful and it's hard to come up with good villains for him. There are some key problems with, I think, the way that his character is put together. I mean, so the whole concept of what most people think of as Superman often is kind of wrapped around the 1978 
going forward kind of Christopher Reeve Superman. He is the corn-fed Iowa boy. He's called that several times through the course of the comics, through the course of movies. He's kind of the I eat apple pie and I breathe American freedom and I protect everybody and I'm happy and uh, that kind of uh, a character. There's only so much you can do with that. Now, that's not necessarily the way he was in the comics. He was still pretty... He was still pretty happy in the in his portrayal of the comics, but the problem is he's kind of got one note. There's not a lot of depth to him, especially early in the comics. So it wasn't so much his power level, but what are you going to dig into? What makes the characters, what gets your attention? That hook is the powers, but the thing that keeps your attention is the depth of, of the psyche, the way that they react to the people around them, the stories that are put forward with them. There's not a lot you can do with the way that his particular personality profile is put together. That's where I have my problem with him. Yeah, I like Superman's villains more than I like Superman Absolutely. himself. Luther, man. I mean, there are so many good versions of Luther that, that are out there. And seeing a guy, I mean, sure, he's super intelligent. But that's it. He's super intelligent, doesn't have any powers, but I'm still going to give Superman a run for his money because I understand. If I don't know who who he is, because, you know, glasses, uh, <laughs> I'm still going to give him a run for his money because I understand how his mind works and I understand how the world works apparently much better than Superman does. So eventually, you know, power overwhelms. But for a while... He's going to he's going to give Superman a run for his money. Great character. Um, he has a lot of other good villains too. I mean, Bizarro. I love Bizarro. Bizarro's cool. I like I like Metallo. Yeah. Metallo is really like how he gets to where he is. I that story is okay. Yeah, whatever. But the character itself. The character itself, I think, is kind of cool. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, I find Lois Lane grating. Normally, not always. She she has been written well, but in most incarnations, and people may hate me for saying this, I did not like Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. I I she just annoyed the heck out of me. I did not like her in that film. It's not her as a, a as an actress or a person, but the way that the character she was just annoying. And okay, so you're telling me that this all powerful guy likes that. What? It's a uh, Stockholm syndrome because they're, they're, they spend a lot of time together at work. Maybe, maybe it just whatever it was, it never hit for me. Now that changed a little bit. Like Terry Hatcher's Lois and uh, Lois and Clark, I really liked that Lois. That was a lot more. I mean, she still was kind of damseled a lot. I mean, what are you going to get when one guy is basically invulnerable and the other person has a, a pad and, and pencil? I mean, yeah, she could get. She could. She was canny and she was smart and she could get out of a lot of instances but when you have to have characters of a sufficient power level to challenge Superman there's not going to be a whole lot she's going to be able to do and Uh, say what you will about the modern versions the Henry Cavill versions of Superman and Justice League as good or bad as those movies are at least they're diving into other areas as in you have all this power should you use it? How do you use it? Who controls how you use it? Absolutely. So, like, those aspects of it are pretty Much good. Because if you watch, like, the ones people talk about, like, the 
the Batman comics and uh, I mean cartoons and the Superman cartoons. Superman cartoon has like what three seasons, tons and tons and tons of episodes oh, yeah. on it. He just obliterates everything in that city, and there's no one cares about it. Or he goes to other places and just obliterates things, and no one cares. Like you don't see any aspect yeah. of it. You just see the superhero versus villain thing of it. And they totally took that in an interesting, more modern take of that in the current movies. Like oh, I said, yeah. like or hate the direction of the new ones. At least they. Try to give it a different angle. Definitely, definitely, I agree. And and uh, you know, as they add layers and depths, I'm sure it will get. It'll just get better. And again, a lot a lot of people will think that I'm kind of throwing shade on Superman. I'm really not. It's just it's not that I hate him. It's just he doesn't draw me to buy a book. And if it wasn't for the fact that I tend to watch every single superhero movie, he wouldn't draw me to the theaters either. Um, but anyway, so let's get away from DC for a minute. Let's go. Marvel realized we need a TV show too. It's been or a TV show. We need a movie also. It's been way too long. So, uh, 1978. There is a Doctor Strange movie. Yes, there in is. 1978. Did you ever see that one? No, it's a TV one, right? It is a TV one. So, um, this is another instance of people that make a movie that do not understand the comic books and just kind of have no clue what they're doing, but still make something mildly interesting because it's just so crazy. Now, Doctor Strange originally uh, was in uh, 1963, was his first appearance in Strange Tales. So, Was he another uh, Ditko I believe character? So. I believe so. I realized that I left a hole in my notes and I forgot to write down that particular little bit of information I, I like said, brains out ears, losing, bad, talking of not having good. Um, but for the movie itself, you got Peter Hooten as the lead. Now, those that have watched movies from on TV from the 70s and 80s will know who Peter Hooten is. Now, we think of our current... He's a hoot. Yeah. We think of our current slick kind of Doctor Strange that we've got with the current casting, which, by the way, I love. Um, but um, you got to understand, you've not really seen Doctor Strange until you've seen Doctor Strange with a 70s porn stash. Um, it's and big hair. It, <laughs> it's, it is really, really, I mean, think of... Um, Think of Alex Trebek if he was Doctor Strange with bushier facial hair. That that's really what you got that visual. Well, from. it was the seventies. It was the seventies, so it's it's so good. So, neurosurgeon, right? No, no, <laughs> psychologist. An odd change. Not quite sure. But I mean, he uses his hands. They're very important to write notes and stuff. Yeah, that was that was just strange. So that was another small. Oh, you know, I forgot. Uh, Peter Hooten was in a movie that they made a remake of with George George Clooney, I think, not too long ago. Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. There was originally an Inglorious Bastards in '78, and Hooten was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you got uh, you got to have a Wong. If you're going to have uh, Doctor Strange. I saw the Wong was in it, yep. Yeah, Clyde Kusatsu as Wong. Um, yeah, you recognize that dude. Oh, like, yeah. He's, yeah. He is in everything. I love this guy. And 
if you've uh, seen anything from 1970, he's in 300 projects. You know who this guy is. Just look him up. Clyde Kusatsu. K-U-S-A-T-S-U. Fantastic. Uh, I will watch him in anything. Um, you've actually got some star power in the, uh, in the bad guy of the film. Uh, as Morgan Le Fay is the, is the bad guy they choose. Played by Jessica Walter. Mm. Nothing? Oh, come on, Jessica Walter. Jessica Walter is Mallory on Archer. See, the thing is, I haven't seen like one episode of that show. No! Oh, Archer is the best. Um, okay, so sorry. I But she's also in Arrested Development, too. She is so. also in Arrested Development. That's yeah. where I was going next. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of Archer. I like Arrested Development, too, but I love Archer. And it's oh, just, she is fantastic. Um, you got Anne Marie Martin as Clea. Now, most people don't really recognize that name, but you remember we were talking to Mr. Carl Ciafarlio here a few weeks ago, and I mentioned a very specific 80s TV show that I happened to enjoy that he did some stunts for mm. named Sledgehammer. Well, who was the female lead in Sledgehammer? Anne Marie Martin. We were just talking about the uh, song Sledgehammer the other day. <laughs> no, no connection whatsoever. Um, um, but other kind of small things. So who gave Dr. Strange his powers? Um, it's got a number. The, the, the ancient one. That's right. Ancient one. Well, not in this. Uh, just some random sorcerer. Uh, he, instead of training him in the mystic arts, well, here's the light. Uh, take the light and defeat bad guys. <laughs> it's, Fair enough. It's it's seventies, late seventies cheesiness. If you get a chance to see this film, um, it's entertaining. It, it's it's not great, but it's fun. And again, I've been saying that a lot. Fun in a bad way, uh, or bad in a fun way. Same kind of difference. That's that's what we've got, Doctor Strange. So you know what's next. We're in seventy eight. Mm. It's time. For, I think, what most people thought of as not not as a comic book movie, as a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, there's, a, there's a different correlation there. Um, you know, when you, you, we talked about all those serials for the Superman stuff before. And if you're listening to this, you might be younger, older, but if you were born... In the 70s, and as you were growing up, you still watched this particular movie, whether it was on TV, probably was on TV by the time you got old enough to appreciate it or watch it. But the 78 Superman, I think, is... It is a classic and in so many different ways. Um, there's even different versions of it, right? The, yeah, the, you got the Donner cut, yeah. right? Now, now that the director's cut has become a, a big thing and having a, a Blu-ray of something that can store so much data on it that you can have 30 different versions of a film or different cuts of a film on it now, uh, I, I think that's pretty big. But it's just got, I think it's just got a something, something to it that just sticks for people that are our age. Oh, yeah. When we watched them and how we could enjoy them, um, 
when we were young. Well, there's a certain brightness to it, right? There's a certain kind of joy and, and yeah, there's a bad guy. Yeah, there's an evil plot, but it's, you can't take it real seriously. You, well, that's not the right word. You don't see it as the same kind of looming, the world's going to end kind of a threat. It's like, okay, we got, we got Gene Hackman as Lex mm-hmm. Luthor and then we got Superman. And if I'm looking at both of them, looking at one, looking at the other, it's like, yeah, we're going to be fine. <laughs> this guy's going to take care of everything. It was that kind of warm feeling that you could get. And it had a it, it's it's the the soundtrack. I feel like too, you know, on on that the music, the theme that plays with that is something that as a kid, when you even when you hear it today. Like you, you like instantly. You can hear like the first little bit of it, and you're like, "That's da, 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 da. Yeah, like you, you just you just know what it is. Yeah. Um, so that even that small thing has something tied into it too. But it had all your basics, uh, the characters of your of your Jimmy Olsen, like the whole the whole newspaper, the whole Daily Planet character files. They were all in there. Oh yeah. And it had at the time, you know. In the seventies, to see somebody quote flying—that was that was something. That was a big deal at that time. So I, I, there's just something about that movie, and it's I've never once said it is my favorite movie or one of my favorite movies. But it just I think when you're little and you see that movie, whether you knew who Superman was, whether you knew he was a comic book character or not, you just knew that movie and how that character was presented. Well, yeah, and you've got Christopher Reeve, who just by and far, one of my favorite actors of all time. Um, and, you know, I, I talk about the, uh, I talk about the character being as thin as it is and the annoyance that I have at it being that kind of thin. It almost didn't matter when Christopher Reeve portrayed him because you just love him. You see him in you see him in the suit for Superman. You see him in the suit as Clark Kent. You just kind of want to say, "Hey, come over and hang out for a minute." You just you just kind of kind of love the guy immediately. Yeah, and I think his portrayal of the character is what kind of sealed that movie in. And you're right, Margot Kidder, who I guess lover or hater. I think it's a, probably a pretty big mixed bag of that. Yeah. Um, you know, she'll always be remembered as that particular Lois Lane. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no way around it. But um, you know, fly around the world as fast as you can, so you can spin it backwards and reverse time. <laughs> and then you ah, uh, physics. Who needs to understand physics? Good to go. Um. So the other nice thing, I mean, you got Marlon Brando being uh, in it for just you know a short period of time, and uh, a guy that doesn't understand comic books doing <laughs> just a little bit of acting, showing how awesome he is and still just nailing it, even though he has no clue what's going on. Um, just kind of awesome. Uh, and I, I joke about Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, but it's Gene Hackman. I mean, uh, that's a dude that I will watch in anything. Uh, he's just, he's just, I mean, he's in Hoosiers, right? It's, it's, it's Hoosiers. Uh, he did have hair. He, he did have hair at that point. But I mean, anything that he's touched, I've pretty much loved that he's ever made. Um, 
I feel like a lot of us nowadays interpret Lex Luthor without having hair. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, but he had hair. And I don't think it really took anything away. Yeah. Don't need to be follicularly challenged. Um, he, now, did, he did a tube later on, right? I believe that is accurate, yeah. Uh, well, in fact, I think he had a toupee in the first film, technically. Uh, again, dredging dredging that, the, the bottom of the riverbed, uh, riverbed that is my memory. I feel like that was a, a gag part in one of the scenes. Now, you remember who his, who his uh, cohorts were in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. So you got Otis played by a dude. I mean, it's I Ned Beatty, man. It's Ned Beatty. Squeal like a pig. Um, deliverance. Deliverance. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So I mean, uh, I know that's probably not what he wants to be remembered for, but um, Ned Beatty's been in just a ton, a ton of, of things. A ton of things. And again, he's always good. I mean, he's got he's kind of that awesome supporting guy that you can. Put in it, whether you're talking about a romantic comedy or you're talking about a drama, stick him in, and he generally does great. And then he's, yes, he, he very recognizable. And you've got Miss Tessmacher! Tessmacher! Uh, Valeria Perrin? Perrin? I don't remember how you pronounce her name. But, uh, so, now, kind of interesting. Now, depending upon whether you consider uh, which, talking about the different edits, Depending upon whether you're talking about the Donner edit or which I'm with the original edit or where you look at it, technically the bad guys from the second movie are also in the first movie. Yeah, yeah. In the are they in the negative zone or Yeah, basically. So I mean you've got you've got Terrence Stamp there just for the briefest of moments, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um and it's kind of fun. And you also have Sarah Douglas in there as uh, Ursa, you know, all three of them, truthfully. Um, now, kind of an interesting note. You got Jimmy Olsen as Mark McClure. Now, he's he did other stuff, too, but everybody just kind of, it's it's Jimmy. Jimmy Olsen. He, yeah, yeah. He did as much to kind of stamp his performance of Jimmy Olsen into the minds of the people that watched as, uh, as Christopher Reeves and Margot Kidder did uh, for their roles. Now, kind of an interesting note, we talk about having multiple Superman movies. Uh, everybody always res- uh, reprised their roles, right, in each movie. But he actually has more credits for that series of film than Christopher Reeve or Margot Kidder or any of them do because he was also in Supergirl, and none of them were. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that movie. Yeah, so just kind of a kind of a funny little thing where he ends up getting more more uh, more on paper credits. Than totally for else. yeah, it's like that movie was out and I saw it once and I was like, I always want to see this again. But you can find it anywhere. Like it wouldn't, it wasn't something that was readily available at that time, of course. Now is now is it me or does Mark McClure does he look like like uh, John McEnroe? A little bit. Yeah, I always thought that too. Or at least once I found out who John McEnroe was, he looked like John McEnroe if he was relaxed. Yes, not as not quite as uh, not quite as angry. strung out or, or angry. Yeah, it's not strung out, but like high strung, I should say. Yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. Strung out implies some sort of drug habit. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. Um, so, all right, so that's that's the the 1978 Superman. Film. I mean, obviously, a great memory for most people. I know it has 
fond memories for me. So we take an iconic, kind of polished, happy character, and then we jump back into cheesy. Um, now this is another uh, television movie in 1979. We get our second attempt at... Captain. The Captain. Yeah, The Captain America. Now... Captain, my captain. So if you are thinking of Captain America, you, you know, you're designing... <laughs> You're designing the new Captain America. They they fixed the problem from the first movie. His name is Steve Rogers. Oh, clever. That's probably a good idea. They got the right name <clears throat> on it. They uh, apparently also fixed the problem from the first movie. They go, you know what he needs? A clear shield. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're blocking the bad guys, it's hard to see, right? Uh, I'm still trying to understand that particular leap of logic. Um, maybe it was lighter. They said, well, the... The shield needs to be plastic. It needs to basically be a big frisbee. Otherwise, he's not going to be able to do anything with it. And and his helmet is amazing. <laughs> it is fantastic. <coughs> I'm sorry. I'm uh, swallowing my tongue because it is so, so silly. Um, now, I know it existed in the comic books. Cap didn't just walk around. I mean, he had transportation. Uh, and he did ride a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's his motorcycle? James Bond inspired to have all sorts of gadgets. Because, you know, you got to have that turbo boost and uh, the missile launchers. And they, they, they took kind of that route in designing this particular character. You know, he was never involved in World War II. He wasn't frozen in ice or anything like that. His dad was like a chemist, and uh, somebody killed him. And, well, i got to find out who it was. And, well, I'm going to get the the stuff that he made, and so I'm going to be like a superhero, but uh, I'm going to have the government behind me, so they're going to give me gadgets. That's what the 1979... Uh, Captain America is is really like yeah. Um, not uh, it's not what you might expect it to be. Um, it's the yeah, the flag formula. Oh, um, so the only thing I will really mention out of this film that is of any interest, at least to me, Red Brown plays Captain America. That's about as far as I go. Um, and it's not so much that the other stuff isn't important, but I couldn't find any real links to anything else that was really uh, yeah. of import. Um, now, the only way that they could make that film better is to make another one. Make another one, yeah. <laughs> also in 1979, Captain America 2, Death Too Soon. Death Death you know, Too Soon. Death Too Soon. With the, two, um, with the number two? Um, um, no. Uh, Captain America 2, before the colon, uh, T-O-O, after the colon, um, Reb Brown does come back to uh, reprise the role. Now, they they say, okay, well, we got everything else right. We've got the motorcycle and the clear shield. What we're really missing, we need some star power. How about Connie Selica as Dr. Wendy? Now, she was actually a, a pretty big name at the time, at least in the television side. Yeah, she like more of those... Um those soap opera type, yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, my favorite thing though, I mean, she was in Beyond Westworld at the time. Now, not not thinking of the current version of Westworld that probably a lot of you might be considering at the moment, but the the old version of uh, of uh, one of the Westworld 
uh, indications, but she was in one of my favorite television shows, um, Greatest American Hero, which will not be on our list of uh, comic book movies because, A, it's a television show, and B, it's not based on a comic. But it is kind of a superhero thing where a guy gets a suit that gives him powers that he doesn't know how to use. <laughs> it's, it's just... It's really silly, and if you've never seen it, it is so much fun. Um, she did a good job in that. Now, there is one other really big name in the sequel. Did you find it? Saw that. <laughs> Sauron. Yeah, that's right. Christopher Lee. The man, the legend, the really dangerous individual that decided to start acting. <laughs> and his character is Miguel. Yeah, another really interesting choice of, of names. Uh, take uh, In one instance, take a guy that's very, very, uh, very, very rich and exotic and give him an American name, and then take a guy that feels very uh, just kind of standard and give him an exotic name. Yeah, whatever. Somebody's, I, if you got to work, you got to work. You yeah, know? well, and it's Christopher Lee. He could do it. He could do anything. Mm-hmm. Just like Ricardo Montalban. He could do anything. I'll, I'll listen to him do anything. These guys are great. Um, I mean, he was a uh, con. Yeah, he was. <laughs> I love Ricardo Montalban. Now, did you ever watch the uh, cartoon um, um, Kim Possible? No. Familiar with it, but I did not watch Ricardo it. Ricardo Montalban has one of my favorite voice working bits in that particular show. Kim Possible, nice. In Kim Possible. There is a father and son that are Spanish uh, bad guys. Um, uh, and by Spanish, I mean from Spain, as far as I remember. Anyway, I, it's a little, I'm a little foggy. It's been a little while since I've seen it. But so, so one of them's name is Senior, Senior, Junior, and the other is Senior, Senior, Senior. <laughs> it, is, it is so silly and just fun. And just hearing him do that is like, man, I, I'll. You know, bring me back to Fantasy Island. I'll I'll do that mm-hmm. anytime, man. If he is he was great. Um, all right, so let's get out of the silly, well, sort of, uh, and come back to 1980. We've got our sequel to Superman. We got Superman two. Mm. The um, search for Spock, basically. Um, now you did see that one, right? Mm-hmm. What did you think of the sequel? That's the one with uh, Richard Pryor, right? Am I thinking that? No. That's the third one. That's the third one. So the second one. It's the third one he turns into. He loses his powers. That's the second one. That's the second one. And he goes to the diner and he gets beat up. And then he gets his powers back and he goes back to the diner and throws the guy down the down the table. and. That's what seems to be what most people remember. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, if, if I'm an upstanding individual and I get beat up, when I get my superpowers back, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always thought that was kind of funny from a, a moral standpoint. That was the uh, switching the crystals. Yes. Around. Yep. That is exactly what that was. So I found, I remember seeing that movie the first time. Everybody reprises the role. That was in the original 1978 Superman. Um uh, but the three having three bad guys that have the exact same power level as Superman, the part where they throw the bus at him, I mean, that was just kind of, I hadn't seen anything like it, and it was so cool at the time. Well, Terrence Stamp is awesome. Yes. 
And it's when you watch that, and as I came to figure out who Terrence Stamp was later on, you know, I'm talking like recently, I still never put two and two together that that's Terrence Stamp because, you know, he's he's younger. It just doesn't look like him at all. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's him. This is awesome. Now, um, one kind of funny thing, and I even found I had problems with this even when I was younger. Uh, so in the beginning of it, when they break out of the, uh, the, the negative zone um, and you've got the uh, lunar module that they come across, um, they're talking to each other <laughs> on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need oxygen to talk. <laughs> why would why would you need that? You know, <laughs> any sort of a medium for sound to pass. Even at that point, I knew, okay, this doesn't seem right to me somehow. There, there's something off about this. Um, what are we missing? What, what, what's going on? What, what, I don't know what it is. But, um, uh, yeah, that, that movie was just so much fun. Uh, the whole bit where they're trying to teach the... Uh, the, of the three of them, they're trying to teach the large, large one how to do the I-beams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's got the stick, and he can't quite do it. He's getting the tiny, tiny I-beams, and he can't quite make things happen. It's, it's pretty funny. It is fantastic. Um, if you have uh, if you are younger and you've never seen the original Superman movies, you really should. Well, I call it the original. Not technically the original, but the 70s to 80s Superman movies, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Give them a shot because they are so much fun. And, and those same characters that you see, the bad guys, I mean, that's what's in the modern Superman. And there are, there are characters that get used in the comics all the time. Zod is a major, a major villain that he's constantly kind of going up against. And, of course, and was in the, the more recent version. So, um, okay, so let's go... To the weird side, I got a couple more that I've got uh, my notes for before we hang up the headphones for the evening. Um, uh, also, in the early '80s, um, 1982, we've got our our first kind of weird one in the swamp thing. Swamp thing. So now the swamp thing was originally uh, in a comic called Dark Genesis in 1972. Um, Created by uh, Lynn Wine, I believe, and uh, Bernie Wrightston. Bernie Mac? Uh, yeah. You can't tell me. I'm not going to try and do a Bernie Mac impression because that's just not going to work out well. Oh, man, I miss Bernie Mac. Um, but uh, interesting thing about that, most people, well, there's a lot of interesting things about it. What do you know about the Swamp Thing? Um, there's going to be a TV show. There is indeed. What do you know about the character? Anything specific? Um, he, I, I feel like Swamp Thing initially was was a character that was there as a creepy crawly, and not a protector. And he's a protector of his environment, protector of the environment, is what I. And, but really powerful. Oh yeah. In- incredibly powerful, at least now. They they didn't really define his powers very well in the early days, and they still haven't really defined the limits of the character. But think of him as a plant elemental. So the general the general uh, plot line is pretty simple. Dude dies in the swamp. He's reanimated, 
as a protector of the swamp. Now, it's kind of interesting, through the comics, there's actually a lot of people that end up being Swamp Thing over the years. And in some instances, they create the Swamp Thing, and the Swamp Thing thinks he's this person, but isn't actually this person. It's just it's kind of weird. But think of, think of Plant Elemental and uh, uh, Captain Planet if he had complexion issues and was made of vegetation. Kind of that sort of a thing. Uh, stupidly powerful. Um, Part of the now, uh, not more popular, but now more recognizable DC Dark Universe. Absolutely. He is, he is constantly being teamed up. I mean, he, uh, I mean he's shown his strength. Uh, he, he can go blow to blow with pretty much anybody. And even uh, after the, uh, the, the brightest, not the brightest day, brightest day? It might have been after brightest day. It's at least after Darkest Night uh, storyline. Um, you know, there's a giant corrupted version of him that, that lays waste to the city, uh, Godzilla style, that has to be stopped by a bunch of the other heroes. So, I mean, it's just kind of, kind of neat that way. But the movie was directed by Wes Craven. Ooh. So for those kind of, uh, that are horror fans or of a certain age, I mean, most people of our particular age description know Wes Craven immediately and always think of, uh, think of uh, Freddy movies because you know he made quite a few of them and they were a lot of fun. But this is kind of one of those things that he did uh, before that and uh, kind of could give you an idea of the the type of uh, the type of flavor he could give to a film. Um, now, there the main character Alec Holland. You know that guy, right? Wait, wait, wait. The main. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, because he's in. Gosh, he's another one of those people that's just in everything. In everything. Everything as. Gosh, he's usually a bad guy though. Like Often. A, 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 yes. A seedy character type. Thing. Yeah, Ray Wise. Um, although kind of funny, he does have a little thing he did for Netflix and. Uh, um, um, Adam ruins everything. He's in a, in a small bit of that, which is kind of funny. Uh, but one of my, he's on Mad Men, and he's on How I Met Your Mother as Robin's dad, which which is pretty funny. Uh, he's uh, on the Agent Carter television show and X Men First Class. And, he was one of the uh, crew, the bad guy crew in RoboCop. Yeah, uh, uh, he was on the show Chuck. For, for a while, which was kind of fun. I mean, that's really of everything. That's the only note I had out of that. Uh, a lot of the other individuals people may not really recognize. I didn't really have a lot of links, but I mean, like I said, Ray Wise is in everything. I think I feel like people recognize the name Adrian Barbeau. Oh yeah, definitely. And I immediately looked like, okay, what can I say that she's been in? I didn't recognize a lot of stuff she's been in. I I realized I hadn't watched a bunch of her stuff. I feel like, was she more, oh gosh, was she a model too? Did she do that stuff? That sounds right. It feels right. Um, You know, if we're talking about uh, how facts work nowadays, if it feels right, it probably is right. Um, Oh, she was, oh, that's why, okay. Um, She was married to John Carpenter at one point in time. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, all the little things. Yeah, but uh, uh, that she was an escape from uh, Escape from New York, which is another John Carpenter movie, and it's a great bad movie. 
Oh yeah, I love that's that's a lot of fun. I'm a bit partial to Escape from L.A. myself, I that, yeah. but uh, Escape from New York's not bad. And yeah, I remember if that nothing that. else, I prefer Escape from L.A. just from the basketball court scene. <laughs> I, I can't help it. That's such a ridiculous concept. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, and, and how slow he dribbles the ball. <laughs> but he's, he's snake. Yeah. I'll get it done. I can do a half-court shot. Uh, the soundtrack's great for that one, too. Yeah, it is. Let's end on a high note. Let's do one more before we hang up the microphone for the evening, and we'll go with another sequel. Just because you've already kind of mentioned one of the individuals that was in it, we got a small amount of confusion. We'll go to Superman 3. With Mr. Pryor. With Mr. Pryor. Man, the late, great, awesome Richard Pryor. How cool was it to see somebody like that in a Superman film? I think it it's cool. It's it's cuz that one that one kind of underperformed, right? I seem to remember that being the case, but I'm or wait, like it, on it. it was a it wasn't a good movie, but it made a lot of money. Is one, that what it was? Well, it was one of those. Yeah. I bet it's probably that latter one just because it's Richard Pryor. People will go see Richard Pryor. Yep. So it had the name, it had the popularity, it had the draw. Already, that's probably why he agreed to do it. Is just because, well, well, shoot, these first two, they did good. They probably paid him a lot of money too, uh, I, I imagine. But I to see so. him as like a computer person, hacker, let's that, call him, if you will. You know, he was a hacker until he got a part time, got a, a a job from looking for work. It's like, oh, I can do computers. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. That's how that works. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the the half the the fraction of the penny shtick that was pretty hilarious. Um, uh, of the Superman films, I mean, a lot of people give a lot of crap to Superman four. Superman three deserves a good deal of crap too for some of the cheesy things that they have. I mean, first of all, there's no Lex Luthor. Yes, that that was problematic. But uh, I mean, I get it. Sometimes you can only do so much with. A character. Oh, yeah. And, and but, I kind of get where they're coming from to a certain extent. They're going to replace Gene Hackman with Robert Vaughn as uh, Ross Webster. Robert Vaughn's been in a ton of stuff. In fact, my favorite thing that he was, he was uh, General Hunt Stockwell in the 18. That's true. But he's been another of those guys that has just been in really pretty much everything. Yeah, he's... Well, he just... That's reason. Okay, yeah, he... I think I feel like you know him. You know his fa- you know his voice. Oh yeah, right. Like he, he, if you don't recognize his face, you recognize his voice. Definitely. And you know, uh, um, the other kind of name that makes me smile every time I think about that is in Superman three. You are introduced to Lana Lang, who is Annette O'Toole. Annette O'Toole was already uh, a premier actress, but in, again, the long-standing tradition of nods to previous Superman kind of things, you go to the show Smallville, and she's Ma Kent. So it's just time, kinda, for her to, time for her to grow up. <laughs> it's kind of so much fun to see that happen every time. And, I mean, come on. Even though it's so cheesy, how can you not like scenes like the bowling alley? Do you remember the bowling alley? Well, I the, the the one part of that movie that I always remember is they're in the um, 
the place where all the cars are at, right? The, uh, the like the junkyard, the junkyard, yeah. and the Superman fighting himself. Yes, <laughs> gets, because I made I made kryptonite, but I got I didn't know all the ingredients, so I substituted in nicotine. And if I do that, that creates a clone, sort of. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Again, science. Um, it was just, and then the machine at the end is. Weird. <laughs> the computer is is yeah, a little odd. It just, it was just a. It was, but the the bit weird. where he's uh, he's uh, the bowling house. Oh, let's, let's let's take a the little kid's gonna. He takes the ball and it doesn't go anywhere. And Clark sneezes and blows it into the pins and makes all the pins explode. Because nobody's gonna notice that. <laughs> nothing, nothing. Not gonna bat an eye. Oh, that's just kind of strange. Uh, no. No. It's the air conditioning. Yeah, that's that's what it is. Uh, that was that was so cheesy. Uh, I, I can't help it. And uh, oh, you're talking about the supercomputer. Okay, so the three of them build this supercomputer, and so the uh, crisis of conscience that Richard Pryor's character has. He's He's going to help him, but you know Superman's got to get there. So they're defending their new supercomputer from Superman using Atari-style graphics in in a in a game where they're launching missiles at him. Uh, the bit where they try and escape the computer and the girl gets turned into uh, essentially the Borg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's just so look, cheesy. Look, you just a bore. Uh, and, and, of course, all you have to do is just, well, attach a couple of uh, circuit boards to the outside and give her some white uh, white contacts. It'll be fine. Good. <laughs> Good to go. <laughs> oh, those were the days when people didn't think too hard on stuff. Yeah. I, I guess back then when I saw that, once again, young enough to be like, oh, okay, you know, this movie's weird, but... Okay, you know when you're when you're young and you're watching that movie, I don't think you grasp the concept quite that it's really a bad movie. You're just excited because it's another Superman movie, and you may or may not know who Richard Pryor even was if you're, you know, allowed to watch the stand up or not. You know, it just depends. I managed to be able to watch the stand up, though probably I should not have <laughs> at that point. Um, but man, still good memories all in all. So, when we come back, we'll start with 1984. Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. Hmm. Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. That's not, that's not. Yeah, that is not the song. But now I'm probably going to think of that every time I see it. Success. <laughs> Until next time, winning people. <laughs> <laughs>